0: Jesus didn't just come to save us from sin and give us head knowledge, but He came us to change our lives. That's the gospel. And there's a restoration that happens of our hearts. There's a restoration that happens in the encounter. Welcome to the Resurgence Messages podcast. We gather and minister regularly for the purpose of reaching people, reviving churches, and releasing leaders. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you to arise for the kingdom of God. For more information on the ministry of Resurgence and how you can take part, check out liveresurgence.com. It is, it is, uh, I just, as I prayed for tonight, I really feel God wants to do something significant in in our hearts tonight. Um, And uh, it's, as I shared, it's been a season of travel uh, for me, like, the last five, six weeks, I've been home for a few days, gone home for a few home for, like just with leaders and some incredible opportunities. And so last weekend, uh, my wife and I, for those that don't know, we are living in this place called Yakima, Washington. And uh, if you don't know where that is, I did not. 10 months ago, and now I'm living there because my wife is doing a two-year residency program in pediatric dentistry in, it's right by Seattle, two hours by Seattle. So we made this crazy decision to go there for two years so that she could do this amazing program. And so she's on call and she's treating kids. Uh, Two nights ago she got called in at 10 at night for a scooter accident the night before. It was a soccer incident. Someone lost their teeth and she's operating on them. And, and so uh, today she was at home and resting. And so she just texted me and said, praying for us and wish she was here. But um, last weekend she said, okay, you're not, go-. last weekend she's like, you're not going anywhere. We're gonna go on a holiday. I'm like, okay, where are we going? And so her co-residents planned this trip and I'm like, well, what are we doing? And she's going, we're going to see the tulips. I'm like, oh, Lord, good grief. Like, I don't want to, like, of all, like, you know what I mean, tulips, like, okay. So anyways, we go to, but just north of Seattle, there's these tulip fields. If you're in Ana Cortez and this island and Mount Vernon, Washington, there's these tulip fields. And there's so many different kinds of tulips. Like I didn't even know those colors existed, you know, fields of tulips. And we're there taking pictures with tulips and I'm being a good husband, tulips. And then her co-resident said, okay, we rented this Airbnb and we're also going to go whale watching. I'm like, we're going whale watch. So I, I'm thinking we're going to get on this like pontoon boat and be like, okay, this cool boat ride on the, on, to see the whales. And we're probably not going to see any whales because you know how it is. It's just you pay money and you don't see anything. That's, that was my negative view, but I, I checked the negativity at the door and I was trying to be positive. Oh, this is going to be great. So we get to the boat and the boat is like a three story, like it's this big boat. And I'm like, oh, there's like an indoor because it was really windy and cold out and like we had our jackets on. I'm like, this is going to be freezing for five hours on this boat. And they're like, oh, there's like a restaurant downstairs. And so I'm like, oh, this is great. So we sit there, you can order nachos. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be the best cruise of whales. I mean, boat, boat cruise, we're not seeing any whales. And so all of a sudden we're like, we're sitting inside, an hour goes by, we're like going out and away in the ocean. And I'm like, this ocean is massive. How are they going to find something? Anyways, they're like, oh, there's an eagle, look up, you know, and like all these things. And so then all of a sudden the lady gets on and she's like, I can't believe what's happening. We're having an encounter. I'm like, Jess, we're having an encounter, glory to God. You know, she's like, shut up. And I'm like, no, no. The lady's like, "Like, we're having an encounter. So if you're in the nacho line, if you're getting a hot dog, put it down and get outside right now. And I'm like, okay, I'm going outside. I put the nachos down and we go outside. And what happened was, is there was a whole, I don't even know if you call them a pack, you might know this, of a what? Pod, pod. There was a whole pod of killer whales. And she goes, oh, well, we have all 19 of the pod of killer whales. T63 Sawtooth is here. And I mean, she starts naming these killer whales. Oh, their nieces are here. The brothers have arrived. And I'm thinking, this lady's crazy. (laughs) And it, I mean, we're like, okay, now move to twelve o'clock, and you'll see. And all of a sudden, they're like breaching, and they're like doing like free willie in the air. Like, I mean, it was it was really cool. And she goes, we're having an, enc- we're going to stay here for an hour in the encounter. I'm like, come on. And so. Like, she's like telling us the family history. Oh, Sawtooth, oh, he's 41, and the matriarch, Whitby, is here. And there was 19, and she knew them by name, based on their tail markings and everything. Oh, that's the new baby. Oh, and the babies are playing. And, you know, I mean, it was... And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, the humpbacks have arrived. And so the humpback whales show up and they like, their tail goes up and then they go down. And they're like, well, we've been timing it. And they go down underwater for four minutes and 30 seconds. So just wait for four minutes and 30 seconds. And sure enough, like four minutes and 30 seconds later, all of a sudden they come up again. And so they keep moving the boat around. I mean, it was this, the ladies like, I've been doing this for six years. This is like one of the most crazy encounters we've ever had. And, and all week I've been thinking about the word encounter. Because I'm like, isn't it our job as believers, as Christians, to um, even as leader of resurgence, I just sense, you know, to to lead people into an encounter. And her job is just to get that boat and talk about, but she understood where these whales, like I, I mean, I probably studied about Free Willy and junior high, and I mean, I'm old, and you know, studied about orcas and all these things. And so I knew about them, but there's another thing to experience them. To have that encounter. And this lady was so consumed by like the knowledge and the marine biology and all of it. And I was like, man, she, she's like, keeps going out in this boat. Why? Because she wants to experience them again. And I think there's something that, that we can learn. You know, Um, we've said this, that knowledge, you know, can change your mind, but I believe revelation can change your life. And you know what, you can see things about God, you can read book, you can have great theology, you can read this word, but there's a moment this word um, doesn't just have words on a page, but you experience it. And and I feel to share on the word encounter tonight. And and I just sense he wants to encounter us fresh, you know, I just, that's our DNA as resurgence. And I remember the first night, I'm like, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit, we're going to invite people and God's going to encounter us. And and I just sense in this 15th season that there's this call back to a fresh encounter. I I can't rely on yesterday's. I can't rely on my parents' encounter. I can't rely on Karras' encounter or Megan's encounter or Daw's or or anyone else's encounter. I need to have an encounter with God myself. And each one of us the same way. And um, there's something that he's doing in this season. You know, A.W. Tozer says, A right understanding of the Bible opens us to the only path into the presence of God. Or you can say that the encounter with God. See, revival, resurgence looks like a people know in this book. We have to know the word of God. But there's something that the word of God also points us to as an encounter. That we know Jesus was the word and the word became flesh. The word dwelt among us. That that, that's who Jesus is. So if we just see Jesus on a page, we're missing who Jesus is. Jesus is one that dwelt among us and said, the Spirit's coming to do greater works than I could ever do. And you're going to see greater things. And so, um, you know, there isn't a Bible character, if we read the Bible, that didn't have a significant encounter with the Lord. I mean, we look at Moses. uh, He stuttered. You know, Ezekiel would have uh, probably had a psychological examination if this was the modern era and something happened. Um, You know, James and John had unhealthy ambition, Thomas had doubt, Uh, Paul killed Christians, Peter would have flunked group facilitation exercises. I mean, all these people that we look to and read, they had some kind of an encounter that changed them. You know, Ezekiel said he was in awe of God and he drooled for like seven days because he had an encounter with the Lord. And, and um, Pete Gregg says, if you lose God's presence, you lose everything, but if you know his presence, you already have everything you will ever need. And you know, the reality is, I could preach a sermon, and we've all heard a lot of sermons probably in this room. We've probably heard different passages of the Bible shared. We've been to conferences. You may have been to resurgence many times. I think we've gathered 180 plus times as resurgence. And so if I've been at 90% of those, I've heard a lot of sermons just in resurgence. Mind you, church, prayer, everything else online. We've heard a lot of sermons. And and yet, um, you know, how do we encounter, see something that we haven't seen tonight? Like my cry is that we'd have a revelation that we'd encounter him in a way that we've not seen him tonight. And I'm just gonna look at some passages and you've probably heard them, you've probably read them. In fact, one of them, if you were here in February, I'm gonna look at it again and I talked about it in February because I wanna go back to it. Um, And so you've already heard it, I know that. But I sense God wants us to show us some things that we just happen sometimes to pass by and not see. That there would be a revelation, there would be a perception. You know, we've all heard of the story of Moses in Exodus three, he's in the desert, right? And he's in the desert and there's the burning bush incident. And, and I always pray this, God, give me a burning bush, you know? I want to know what to do. Give me a burning bush, you know? Like I, I've looked at, the, there's a fire bush outside our house that was like all red leaves. I'm like, could that just like be a burning bush, you know? And then I would know the Lord and I'd have an encounter and, you know, and, and sometimes we fix, we miss the fact that Moses had a choice. If we read Exodus 3, it says, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. Moses had a choice to see the burning bush. He could have ignored it. He could have kept walking on his day. Somehow he had a curiosity. Uh, Author Heath Adamson says, the word uh, see in Hebrew actually there means to perceive, to know, uh, to have a revelation. And many rabbis actually comment on this passage. They say that, um, you know, the fact the bush had been on fire before Moses had recognized it. That's what they think. And it wasn't that he saw with his eyes something new that God was doing. It was that he saw, he perceived, he had a revelation of what God was already had been doing all along. And for some reason that day, his eyes looked at it. He he had this revelation. It was already burning. It just didn't start right then. And it makes me wonder how many times in my daily walk do I walk by things where I could just turn and say, God, you're doing something there. There's a burning bush in that moment. There's something that, that there's happening that we're unaware of a divine encounter that can happen with the Lord and we just pass it by because we're too busy or we looking at reels or checking the score of the hockey, whatever it is, right? I won't touch that, Jeremy, the hockey game, but go Oilers. But anyways, um, it makes me wonder, you know, uh, Richard Newbar said, the greatest revolutions come not by the discovery of something that was known before They happen when somebody takes radically to something that was already there. How many times have we read a verse and then you read a verse and it's like, I never saw that in that verse before. And I just, my prayer tonight is, God, would you do something undeniable in our hearts tonight? I I sense there's a fresh presence in this place. And I don't know what he's doing, but there's something different than the other resurgences we've had this year. And there's something really unique tonight. And I just... My heart, as we, as we talk tonight and then we pray at the end, is that, God, would you encounter us tonight? Would you encounter us afresh? I need a fresh encounter. I, I need him tonight. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm reminded that encounter brings restoration. In February, if you were there, I preached a message, and it's online called Sleeping and Knocking, and it was on Acts 12. How many were there? Acts, Acts 12, yeah. Yeah. And, and so in Acts 12, there's this crazy story of Peter, and he's put in jail, and, and Peter's put in jail. And, and I feel to just to touch on it tonight because ever since I preached that message, I've been thinking about this nonstop. I keep thinking, and I feel personally for me in a season, God's been saying, it's a season to sleep, and to rest in God, and to trust me. And I preached on the idea of trust how Peter could sleep, um, and yet it was the night before his execution. The Bible says there were four soldiers with four squads of, of soldiers of four guarding him, that he was chained between two guys, and it was the night before he was going to be executed, and he was able to sleep. I'm like, did he say, tuck me in, boys? <laughs> but he was able to sleep. Like, how? Yeah. And, and, and so... I've been, I've been thinking about this and what I preached about and, you know, at the end of the story, he gets woken up by an angel, he gets out, he goes to a prayer meeting. The prayer meeting's happening at the same time he was in jail. They were knocking on heaven's door and all of a sudden he's knocking on their door and they're like, no, it can't be Peter because we're praying for him and he's in jail. He goes, no, I'm at the door. And all of a sudden they have this amazing thing. King Herod gets wiped out because of it and the church goes exponentially. Because of this trial, because of this setback. But it was, Peter was able to sleep. And, and here's the thing about Peter's leadership. I've been looking at him as a leader. Because I, I just believe every one of us are called to be leaders. There's a leader in every chair. And so I'm looking at Peter's trajectory of leadership. And I want to look at this tonight. Because, see, you go back to, um, you know, you go back to look at the journey of Peter. He's a fisherman called by Jesus. Peter, come. Come leave everything, follow me. He leaves it all. And we see a leader called by Jesus. We see a leader that's impulsive. He's super impulsive. He's quick to speak. Throughout scripture, he's always, he speaks, he says things, he speaks his mind. I mean, if you watch The Chosen, they they paint Peter as this guy. He's like, you know, he he talks about John the Baptist. And I, I just, I find it, that character so funny. But when you read the scripture, and you talk about, um, you talk about Peter. It's like he's the first to jump in the water. He's the first to say, let's build some tents on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's stay there. No, Peter, we're not staying here. We're going, you know. He's bold. He's impulsive. He cuts the ear off of the guard. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus has to repair it and explains that his disciples cannot follow him. Peter boasted that he would lay his life down for Jesus. And Jesus said, you're actually going to deny me three times that very night. And when Jesus is arrested, Peter follows the cohort into the temple. It's at this point, Peter outright denies Jesus. It seems Peter can't even vocalize any support. He can't even give a like, a thumbs up to Jesus. Nothing. It's just, it's just negative. He even curses Jesus. It, it, it's, just, it, it's in craven Fear. And if I read that, I see a failure of a leader. I see a disciple that Jesus poured his life into, and it's like, you are a failure, man. And yet, we see Jesus go to the cross, get resurrected, restored. And you know, that restoration was for each of us, and it was for Peter as well. And there's something about, in an encounter, what happens is restoration. So the sin that causes us to die can be paid for. Jesus goes to that cross. There's a restoration that happens. See, we live in a culture where we don't restore; we cancel. We we live in a culture where we burn people. We write them off. See you later. Ah, uh, you know, you're done. You're dead to me. But here's the reality of the gospel: Jesus came to restore. That's, that's the whole gospel. He came to restore. He came to restore my life, your life. We're restored to the family of God. We were separated by sin, but there's this act on the cross, on that cross, where we can be restored. That's, that's the God we believe in. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a gospel of restoration. And we see Peter now. Jesus appear to Peter. Peter's fishing. Peter sees Jesus. He he throws off his cloak. I always love that imagery because I'm like, man, imagine the shame that Peter had. And he somehow was able to throw that cloak off when he sees Jesus. And he runs to Jesus. Jesus already has the fish and chips cooking. And, And they sit down. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Follow me. Feed my sheep feed my sheep, feed my sheep. See, Jesus then said, Peter is the rock that I'll build the church. And Jesus says, I got to go, but the Holy Spirit's going to come and do a greater work. And then we see Peter. You know where Peter is? In those 120 people in the upper room waiting. He gets baptized by the Holy Spirit, immersed by the presence of God. He gets up and he preaches, And 3,000 people, it cut right to their heart. All he did was point to scripture. He goes, this is that what's going on. And it cut right to their heart. And 3,000 people are like, what must we do to be saved? And 3,000 people in the city of Jerusalem, a crazy city, give their life to Jesus. The religious criticize it. And, and he goes to the temple and they say, silver and gold I do not have, but take my hand, get up and walk. And this guy's walking. You know, walking and the religious are like, okay, this is off the charts. And so they, they bring a big council together. They're doing all this. And I love this because... They're like, it says this in Acts. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were ordinary men, they were astonished and took note. These men were with Jesus. But since they could see the man standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Like, I just love that. The man standing there. The guy that was lame is standing with him. So what are you going to say? Miracles are not of God. Well, what happened to him? He's standing there. What are you going to do? You can't say much. He that guy had an encounter now we see in Acts 12 and we fast forward and Peter's in jail and now Peter's able to sleep and it's like how are you able to sleep Peter like how are you able to do this and you're gonna die and I just think of the weight that he carried hey I was a rock I I'm supposed to lead this church did I get it wrong. Did I make the wrong call here? I'm in jail. I left it. Who did I raise up? Did I bring the right people? Did I? Did I? You know, all the, did I write the right books so people, the church can go on because I was a rock and now I'm going to die. He could have all this worry and yet for some reason he's able to sleep. And I think that all comes back to where did impulsive Peter become this Peter that's able to sleep? And I think it all, I mean, I I think it's because he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit in Acts. That there was something that happened because he was with Jesus, he was with Jesus, he cut the ear off, he denied Jesus. There was something, there wasn't a lot of time there, but then in Acts there was something that happened in the upper room. And all of a sudden we see this Peter with boldness who got up. The Holy Spirit gave him boldness to get up. We see throughout Acts, the Holy Spirit gives boldness. And there was this thing that happened on his life. And... I just, you know, how, how, do we, how do we flow in that? How do we, how do we see restoration, you know? Um, I, I, so many times I think we think the encounter of God means going, going up. But can I suggest the encounter of God is going deep within our hearts? That, that God wants to heal our hearts? Ephesians 3 says this, 316, I pray that out of glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your innermost being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all Lord's holy people to grasp how wide... How long, how high and deep is the love of Christ? To know that this love surpasses knowledge, you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, seek, or imagine, according to his power, it's at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What's God's will for us? To strengthen our innermost being. I believe an encounter, when we go, we want an encounter, it has to start in our heart to strengthen the innermost being. We look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah's job is to build the, rebuild the wall. Isn't that such a story of where, where there's Jerusalem and where the temple was, there was enemies coming in and affliction coming in and that God says, Nehemiah, will you build a wall to protect it so that the enemy cannot come and wreck the, the people of God and the presence of God. And I think that's what God wants to do in our hearts. Our hearts are now the temple. The New Testament says we are the temple that the Holy Spirit dwells in. And I think what God wants to do is he wants to restore where there's been wounds and hurts and pain. And he wants to rebuild the wall of our hearts so that we can sustain the presence of God in our lives so we can be conduits of his glory everywhere we go. That there's something, you know, the Jesus I encounter will be the Jesus I lead others to. The Holy Spirit I encounter will be the Holy Spirit I lead someone else to. And and I think, you know... um, Jesus didn't just come to save us from sin and give us head knowledge, but he came us to change our lives. That's the gospel. And there's a restoration that happens of our hearts. There's a restoration that happens in the encounter. Peter had an encounter and and could point to Scripture and say, 3,000 people got saved. See, people are waiting on the other side of our encounter. There's people waiting on the other side of our encounter. 2 Corinthians 3 says, Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. See, in the presence of Jesus, we contemplate the glory, and we're transformed. It's the presence that transformed us. It's the encounter that transforms our hearts, our lives, to look like him. As, As leaders, can I call you leaders tonight? Because I believe we're all leaders. As leaders, it's much easier to fashion, to tailor God in our image, isn't it? <laughs> it's much easier to worship a God that we can qualify, quantify, and put in our, in our box. And get our hands on. And, and, and put our hands around. than Rather than trust a God who has his hands around us. Because we can control it. We can, we can say, oh, God, we want you like this, but not like that. We want you to look like this. See, I, I like the Holy Spirit in my nice spreadsheet. Here's how I discovered he's outside of the spreadsheet. <laughs> he doesn't make sense. He, he, it's, it's outside, and yet I have to go, God, you're bigger than me. I trust you. That's why I think sometimes we can tend away from the leading and, and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we're out of control. See, if we want to encounter him, we have to give up control. And say, God, you, you got the keys. Where do you want to drive? Where do you want to drive? I, I think I wanna be like that that driving instructor with the brake. You know? Did you have that when you did driving training and the guy like slams on the brake like, Shh. like Oh, I was going the right way. It's like you were gonna go through a stop sign. I'm like, Oh, sorry. But like that's kinda of what it's like and can we give trust and say, God, you have it? A.W. Tozer said, it's a fear of falling into the hands of God that makes us so eager to get things reduced to a formula. We feel that if we can learn the secret of the salvation or the steps into the blessed life, we can control our future, and though we would not admit it, control God himself to a large degree. This saves face and preserves our self-confidence, but it also mutes the voice of the power in the gospel and weakens the operations of God in the soul. Some of us have a story of letdown, denial, offense, rejection, hurt. And if you don't, and you've been around the church, I don't believe you. Because if you've been in the church and you've been around people, you've probably been left out at some point. You've probably been not invited to something. You've probably had some kind of rejection moment, moment that someone hurt you, someone left you out, someone didn't include you, someone said something about you or stabbed you in the back, or someone did something in the name of of the Holy Spirit or of God, or a pastor did something, or there was church hurt, or all that kind of stuff. Here's the reality. We all face that kind of stuff. The question is, what do we do with it? And we can let that hold us back from an encounter. And what happens if we're not careful is it's in this atmosphere that cynicism can grow. We can be cynical. I haven't seen that or I haven't tasted that or God hasn't moved like that for my life. So how can I believe in that? See, cynicism is actually just self-protection. It's a way to protect us because we don't want to be hurt again. It's a way to say, uh eh, I, don't, I don't want to, to go through that again. I'll just be cynical. Yeah, we'll, we'll see it. See it to believe it. And this kind of thing, and, and here's the thing. When we want more of the Holy Spirit, we have to get healed from cynicism. Yes. We have to have our hurts healed, you know. Uh, there's been many abuses and many hurts when we say, talk about the things of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it was for you. Maybe you've prayed for a prayer language to, to speak in tongues and it hasn't happened to you yet. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Don't, don't, don't let that go on. Oh, God doesn't want to give it to me. He doesn't love me. I'm going to change my theology. Oh, I prayed for that healing. It didn't happen. So I, I believe that healing. No. Keep seeking. Keep trusting. Don't, don't change. Have your faith line up to the word of God, not your experience. I know people, I talked to someone this week, and they said, well, I had a bad experience with the prophetic and prophetic words. And there was a prophet, and he did all these things, and so I don't believe in the prophet, because he hurt a lot of people. And I, I don't believe that God speaks through prophetic words. And I said, okay, but is that what God says, or is that what hurt says? Because can't hurt be so loud, can it? And, and, and I just said, would God want to heal your heart and I'm sorry that happened to you. And I'm sorry that that person did that. And I'm sorry he did it in God's name. But that's not of God. And there's things that we blame. And you know, I come from the Pentecostal tradition. And sometimes I, I've said to a Pentecostal leader this week, I said, you know, sometimes it's hard for us Pentecostals to experience God because we have so much baggage because we're supposed to be Pentecostals. And yet we haven't really experienced the, the real fullness of Pentecost. And sometimes other traditions that aren't Pentecostal, it's much easier because they don't have all that hurt. I remember when I was uh, 14 years old. And, and nine, uh, 14 years old, I won't say what year it was. Um, <laughs> but there was a move of God that was happening in Toronto. And I was young. And um, I was 14 years old, so that'll tell you. I was 13 years old, actually. And, and so I was in, I was in uh, Toronto and my parents, we were going to Disney World. And for some reason, they saw on the news that there was this revival happening in Toronto. And so it was, it was called the Toronto Airport. And so we were on the way to Disney World. My friend was with us, which not a Christian. And for some reason, my parents were like, we're gonna go to this revival. So we go and there's like, like 3,000 people. And I'm just like, there's a hunger in me for like what's going on. I mean, I got into the room. It's a massive warehouse. And there was like people spinning with like uh, banners. And they're like, the wheel of God is turning around us. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, this isn't the church I grew up with. And it was really good. The worship was good. I was like looking at the video cameras because they had video cameras. Like it, it was a cool place. with so many people all over the world. And I remember the preacher preached. It was really good. And I, I liked the message my friend I was like kind of thinking about my friend like he's not a believer and he's in this atmosphere and this is this is even different for me and then at the end of the service they said okay we're gonna pray for everyone in this place I'm like there's like 3,000 people here and they go go to the back of the warehouse and on the floor was taped lines duct tape and you line up on a line and they come through and they pray and so I'm like I'm waiting I'm waiting for prayer I'm like God I want it I want all of it And I remember as they were praying for people coming up, people were falling over under the power. Like, like the presence of God would come and they would fall. Boom, 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 boom. And they got to me and I was like, I was nervous. I'm like, I don't really want to fall. Will I get hurt? Like I, that was new. And I was like, okay, God, I just want all that you want in my life. And I remember I didn't fall. I wasn't feeling like I wasn't falling back. But the guy that was praying for me like started to like put his hand and it was like this. And so I was like, my neck was going back and I'm like, I'm going to break my neck. He's going to break my neck. That's all I could think of the whole time. It was like, my neck's going to hurt. My neck's hurting. My neck's hurting. So finally I just like courtesy dropped. I'm like, I'm just for the sake of my neck. God, if this is offensive to you, I'm sorry. I repented and I fell because I'm like, I just, my neck hurt a lot. And so I remember getting on the floor and I remember at that moment I had a choice to make. Do I do I throw out all that's happening? Do I say this is weird, somebody just shoved me over? I mean if this would happen on the street we would think the guy's crazy like like this is just crazy. And yet I remember getting up the floor and I go, God, I want more. And I stood in that line, and they prayed for me again and again and again. And I don't know what it was, but there was something, there was something that birthed in my heart of a hunger. Yes, there was flesh. Yes, somebody pushed me. But God also did something in my heart. And I didn't care what it looked like. I didn't, I didn't let that pushing moment alter what God wanted to do. I didn't let the man moment put an offense or hurt in me. And I remember there was something that God birthed there that I go, man, there was a hunger for more. See, how do we break through cynicism? We get a hunger for God. And, and we, can, we can have offense, we can have these things. We, we don't figure it all out. We just have to go, God, I give it to you. See, God's big enough to heal the wounds tonight. He wants to restore our hearts. He wants to restore that spirit-empowered lifestyle in each of us. I can't shake or deny the feeling that, that there's just a weight tonight where God wants to God wants to restore things, where there's hurt in our hearts tonight, even over the things of the Spirit, even over the things that you've seen, even over abuses, whatever. God just wants to heal that. And Jesus knows your story. He knows my story. And he says that to Peter. He, Peter, I know your story. I know your failures. And isn't it good news that he goes, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Nothing catches him off guard. See, the resurrection brings restoration. We can't accept the full resurrection or the full restoration of Jesus when we hold on to our hurts. Because if we do that, aren't we just saying our hurts are more powerful than Jesus? We're saying that the resurrection, what God did on the cross, isn't enough to heal my hurts. When I I can't lay down that, I'm saying it's not enough. We say people need to make that right-wrong, but I believe God wants to bring us to a deep encounter where we forgive, we we release, and allow him to heal our hearts, strengthen our hearts, and our innermost being. That's what an encounter of the heart does, and the other thought I had tonight was, there's something about the presence, and the story that I was directed to is, there's this obscure scripture um, of Obed-Edom, and the whole story of uh, King David, King David becomes king after King Saul. And one of the, he's trying to move the, one of the first things he does is he tries to move the Ark of the Covenant. That's where the box of God was. There was, there was sacred things. That's where the presence was. That's where God was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Bible says he's come inside of us. But in the Old Testament, God was in a literal box, and so God's in this box, and um, I mean, there's, a, there's quite the story of the God box. If you read it, 2 Samuel, there's, um, you know, he, King David got 30,000 troops together to move the box of God. Um, you know, the first thing David did was, as king is, hey, I'm going to get the box of God to Jerusalem. I want the presence of God in Jerusalem. And he was kind of making the statement, I don't want to be king without the presence of God. I'm not going to be king because it's God who put me here. And I need the presence of God. See, we need the presence of God. And the ark had been outside of of the tabernacle for 70 years. It was 70 years outside. And David had an experience in a field, in the caves, that said, hey, I need God's presence. I'm not doing this thing without you. Nate Edwardson, a friend of ours, says, what God does in you, he wants to do through us. See, what God did in... David in the field he wanted to do through him in the city and so he says I want the presence of God from the field I want to move it to the city and Saul here's the funny thing about the story King Saul was king for 40 years before this and yet he never had the presence of God once in those 40 years moved into the city imagine being a part of a church things of God and yet there's no presence God's not in the building you're doing things. You're driving the bulls. You're doing the sacrifice. They were doing all these things. There was sheep and slaughter, and yet there was no presence of God. That's religion. And then David's like, I want to restore the presence of God. We need the presence of God. And the presence was with the Philistines. And it was put on a cart. And there's a whole story of Dagon, this god. And the presence of God's put next to Dagon. And then they come back the next day. And Dagon's like bowing. This big stone statue's bowing to the ark, to the box of God. And they're like, no, it just fell over. Like, there's no way. The next day, they come back. And Dagon, and is head's cut off. And he's still bowing. And it's like, okay, this is crazy, get the box of God out of here. So they take the box of God somewhere else, people end up with tumors. And then some guys somewhere are like, let's get 70 people to look inside the box of God. Yeah, that doesn't go well, they all die. And so everybody's like, no, don't give me the box of God, like, put it somewhere else, that thing's crazy. And um, it's, it's going around for 70 years. And the Philistines actually, they hauled it on a cart. Everywhere they were taking it, it was on this cart. And and they were sending it around. And then King David is like, okay, we are going to bring the the Ark of God to Jerusalem. So he gets the cart. He gets 30,000 people. And he puts it on a cart again. Why did he put it on a cart? Because that's what the Philistines had done. And so he puts it on a cart and as it's coming an oxen kind of stumbles and the story says that Uzzah is standing there and Uzzah, his name means strength, and he puts his hand out to steady the Ark of God, the presence of God. And when he puts his hand out to steady it, he touches it and he instantly dies. And so, I mean, occupational health and safety shows up, the whole scene is shut down, they're like, what do we do with the Ark of God? Stop everything, have an investigation. And it's government, so it takes three months, basically. So they move it over to this guy's house. They're like, can we put it in his house? And you imagine, I mean, I'm guessing it's not in his house. It must be like in the field. Maybe it's in the bedroom. I mean, his kids are playing frisbee by the, you know, over the Ark of God. Oh, the frisbee goes higher when it goes over the Ark of God, you know? <laughs> Don't let your frisbee land there. You'll die. You know? Like here's the Ark of God. It said that Obed Edom was blessed because the Ark of God was there. First Chronicles thirteen, fourteen says the Ark of God remained with the family of Obed Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed the family of Obed Edom. You imagine like, hey kids, don't touch that box. If you look in it, you'll die. I mean the fear of the Lord that's around this box. The, the, the fear of God, you're caught between wonder and fear. And, and you imagine the presence of God, like in a box dwelling in your house? Like, just imagine tonight if you had to take the presence of God home to your house. Which room would you put it in? <laughs> like, where would you put it in? Your pantry? Oh, I'll just stick it there. Oh, I'll put it in the laundry room. Oh, and maybe that's not a good place. In the garage? No, that's not a good place. Okay, you can have the master bedroom. I'll sleep downstairs. Like, where would you put it? And here's Obed-Edom, he's like blessed and the presence is there. And then David became angry and he's like, "I. he's getting blessed, I want it in my house. And so what he does is he, he gets it moved and they carry it on people. He dances in his tidy whities and in his in his gaunch on the streets. Why? Because he doesn't really care. He takes off his, priestly, his kingly clothes and, and, and he just dances like a priest. Why? Because he said, listen, he's the king. He worshiped, there's such a symbol and, and there's something incredible of what David's doing. See, why did David first take it on a cart? Because the Philistines did that 70 years ago. So David was doing what the world had done to carry the presence. But the presence of God was never meant to be carried on a cart. It was meant to be carried on the backs of people. It was meant to be carried by the people of God, the worshipers. See, the ark was never meant to be carrying by programs or systems. It isn't a building. It's not about performance. But the presence of God is to be carried by us. That's the heart of it, that, that the presence of God be carried by us. See, if our future is a great program or a great thing, then we're going to miss it. Because God's presence isn't, he can use programs, he can use buildings, he can use all of that. But the church isn't, a, isn't just a building, it's a people. And I believe that God wants to fill us with his presence, that we would be people that carry the presence of God. There's a lifestyle that comes from the encounter. See, every generation needs an encounter with the Lord. Moses had an encounter with burning bush. It changed the trajectory of his life. Peter had an encounter in the upper room that brought restoration. David had this encounter that gave him a hunger for the presence of God. See, once you taste of God, you taste and see the Lord is good, it's pretty hard to put it back in the box. You're probably in the room tonight because there's something that burns in your heart that says, God, I must have you. On a nice night in Edmonton when it's not that nice in the winter, it's like you want to do everything else, but you're in this room tonight. Why? Because there's something that burns in our hearts that goes, God, we must have you. We're hungry for you. We're hungry for an encounter of you. We're hungry for something that changes our lives. Not just talk about you. Not just know head knowledge about you. But there's something deep in our hearts. That's why we've been gathering for 15 years. Because we believe that God wants to do something that's encounter him. And if an encounter changes me, it's going to change my family, it's going to change my neighborhood, it's going to change my workplace, it's going to change the guy next on the plane tomorrow when I'm on the plane. We have to believe that an encounter changes everything. A.W. Tozer said, religion today is not transforming the people, it's being transformed by the people it's not raising the moral level of society. It's descending to society's own level and congratulating itself that it has scored a victory because society is smiling and accepting its surrender. He wrote that many decades ago. See, encounter can become religion, can it? Pastor Greg Cruschel, and there's a really cool podcast on leadership by Pastor Greg Cruschel. I recommend it. And he talks about three generations, three, four generations of leadership. And he talks about the first generation. And the first generation, and this can be in business, this can be in church. And I, and I want to extend this to this is an encounter in God. The first generation is the pioneers, the people that built, the people that started something, the pioneers of our churches, the pioneers of a business, they start something, they're, they're the innovators, they're the ground people, they have nothing and they make something happen. My grandparents immigrated from Poland, they came here, they farmed the land, they had nothing, and yet they created a homestead and 150 acres and a livelihood and everything. They were, they were the first generation and my grandmother was going to die. And, and I've shared this story before. And yet God miraculously healed her. And that's their introduction to the Christian faith. And because of it, my dad got saved and the whole family. And so they had this encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed everything. And then there's a second generation. And the second generation of people are people that are, 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 are basically are uh, entered early, yet contributed, but didn't start it. And then the third generation entered late into the picture, and they uh, never had the blessing of seeing something start. And so you have the second generation that are stewarding what the first generation had, and the, by the third and fourth generation, you're having a generation that can easily squander or be entitled to something that they never saw start. And we see this in all cycles of society. We see it even today in, in, our, in our mindset. There, there's people where it's, there's an entitlement where it's like, I was, I was just born into it. I never had to work for it, never had to do it. I just got the, I just got the check from dad and, you know, that was that. I was at a church conference recently and they, they were talking about, hey, when did you first come as a pastor? When were you uh, first come into this movement? And you know what was interesting? Most of the people that were pastors in the movement, the way they came into the movement is they said these words, I was born into it. I was born in that church and I grew up in the movement. And I think that's the reason why we're seeing a plateau right now. Of churches in North America is because the people that are that are in it have been born into it they've always seen it but they haven't seen life without it they haven't known what it is to pioneer something to start something and I think it's a reminder doesn't matter what generation you are there's a call even as we would see the life cycle of resurgence that were a few generations of iterations of leaders that have come through it's important that we go back and go hey it, this is a pioneering season we're pioneering something new because we can get stuck squandering something um, um, entitled to something resting on the encounter of someone else and I think here's the reminder every one of us need a fresh encounter of the Lord I can't go back and say oh my grandfather and my grandmother they had a healing and that's enough and because of that see, because what happens is now I build my faith out of that encounter so Moses has a burning bush experience He has this burning bush experience. And I'm going to land really soon, guys, so I know I'm going long tonight. But he has this burning bush experience. And then what happens come rules and, and, and fear of like, oh, I got, I got to be careful with the burning bush. And so we see the Ten Commandments come. We see all these things come to the people of Israel. But here's what happened is they started to not have that experience. And years go down the road and it becomes rules and religion. And there's this, there's this desire for holiness, but it's not holiness out of encounter. See, why, why did Uzzah put his hand on the ark? Was there an entitlement? See, his name meant strength, and he thought, I can strengthen the presence of God. I can put my hand, and I can put strength on the presence of God. Can we become too familiar with a God that we don't even know? Holiness isn't us cleaning up on our own strength like Uzzah. It's in a deep surrender to God. Holiness is an encounter with him, not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of God, the Bible says. If holiness is about us, our faith is about us, then you know what we do is we traffic in shame and fear. If it's about self and my sin, we miss the reality. Here's the reality. God finds us. Holiness begins with an encounter. Faith begins with an encounter. Everything in a lifestyle of faith and holiness in everything that God's called us has to start at the encounter. Because if I'm living off someone else's encounter, if I'm living off someone else's rules, if I'm saying, oh, don't go to movies because that's not what we're supposed to... You know, all these things, right? not saying they're bad or good. I'm just saying it can be someone else's encounter. I need to have an encounter with the Lord and know Him and go, God, what pleases your heart? Where should I go? Where should my eyes look? What should my eyes see? Where do you want my life to be? Not based on what... um, Karis's encounter, Megan's encounter, but God, what are you doing in me? I want a relationship with you. Curtis, would you come and play? See, Moses had an encounter. See, we've lived by rules and fear based on encounters of other generations, but, you know, our faith has to be our own. Prayer isn't a formula. Worship isn't a thing we do, but it's an expression of deep surrender to the Lord. See, God finds us Holiness is calling is, is a calling, but it first finds us through an encounter. What generation are you? Are, are you one that will squander it or live on someone else's encounter? Or will you say, "God, I want to be one that encounters you afresh? I want to be a builder. I want to be one that, that has a fresh encounter. See, everything needs to be birthed in an encounter. What breaks cynicism? What allows the spirit to come in? It's hunger. God, I'm hungry for you. I don't, I don't know what it looks like, but I want you. God, I'm hungry for you. I remember at 14, on chairs in a prayer room going, God, I don't know what it looks like, but I wanna pray in tongues. I don't even know what this is, and it's weird and super weird, and the chairs are really hard, and this guy with bad breath was praying over me. And yet I just remember, God, I want it. And there's something in there, a hunger burst that we go, God, I can't understand it. And this seems crazy and foolish and nuts, but God, I want you. I remember being at a camp in Okanagan and the presence of God was moving. And I, I remember just sitting on the front row and saying, God, I feel called to ministry. I don't know what that looks like, but I just want to watch what you're doing the rest of my days. See, there's something where God stirs. And I just believe tonight, you know, in, in Hebrews, there's this verse... And it talks about during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Hebrews 5:7. And And just as I prayed for us tonight, there's a cry that God wants to come forth in our spirits tonight. There's a cry and a hunger. I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I feel like we just, God, here's my jar. Would you fill it? Like Elijah, the woman to Elisha. Here's my jar, would you fill it with oil? And I just sense, and I wanna provoke us tonight to a moment of hunger, just a deep hunger. And we're gonna open the altars in a minute, and I, I wanna invite you to find a place and maybe a posture that's not comfortable to you and just go, I God, I'm hungry for you. I need a fresh touch of you. We might pray for people, I, I don't really know, But I just, I want to open up and say there's something He wants to do and I feel it's significant and I just, all I could shake this week is this word, encounter. And I just said, God, I want a fresh encounter. Ever since that woman on the boat said, get ready, there's an encounter, put your nachos down. So tonight I say, put your nachos down. Put whatever's distracting you and she said these words. She said, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And it was for a whale. And yet the Lord is in this room tonight. And I just sense, so if, if, if you just feel a stirring, if you're like, I don't know. There's cynicism. There's hurt. If there's things that you would say as I was speaking tonight that you say, hey, there's just some things in my heart. It's cynicism. It's hurt. It's pain. It's some stuff. And I just, I want to see that heal tonight. Would you, with no one looking around, just, just raise your hand. Say, hey, that's me. There's some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So God, I, every hand in this place, God, I thank you for each hand. And I pray right now Would you speak truth into every heart in this place? God, I pray for a fresh wisdom and revelation. I pray right now where there's fatigue, where there's tiredness, where there's distraction in our minds, where our minds won't focus, I just ask for focus right now. And I speak to every attack of the enemy. We break every stronghold, every bit of fear, every bit of doubt, every bit of shame in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you that your presence is in this place. And so right now in Jesus' name, we just declare a healing. God, would you speak your truth into every lie that's in our heart, every cynical thought, every doubt, every bit of depression. I break depression off in Jesus' name. I speak life right now. I speak freedom right now. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from pornography. Freedom from everything that would attack our eyes. Every bit of sin. I break confusion off in Jesus' name. And we just thank you. And God, would you put a hunger inside of us tonight? Would you birth a hunger? Would there be cries that come in our spirit that just cry out for the living God, like Jesus cried out, that there would be a cry tonight for a fresh encounter? Would there be a hunger that would move us beyond our normal schedule to say, God, we must have you. We don't care what it looks like, but we're in. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. We hope that you were blessed. For more information about Resurgence, including how you can take part of this great movement, visit www.liveresurgence.com.